0: Welcome to the Form Guide, inspiring conversations about mental health and well-being. This week, we're chatting to Dr. Sophie Bostock, the sleep scientist, about sleep and lessons learned from rowing around the coast of Great Britain. This is a good one. Check it out. <laughs> <I> love that. <laughs> the echo worked really, really well on that one. So, Sophie <laughs> Bostock, Dr. Sophie Bostock, welcome to the Form Guide.
1: Rob it is so lovely to be here it's very nice to see your happy smiling face
0: (laughs) and and yours and yours and we're going to talk about your smiley face Um, but that was a fifth of Beethoven by Walter Murray and I believe that track actually was in um, Saturday Night Fever the original uh, the original movie so from the genre of 70s funk but I I wanted to select an epic track um, to really encapsulate the fact that you've just done something very epic haven't you
1: It depends on your scale of epic. It it felt epic for me relative to my normal everyday life.
0: Yeah, I mean, there is a scale of epicness, but I would say that, you know, on the epic if we could have such a thing, rowing a boat with a bunch of people around the British Isles over, what, seven weeks, was it?
1: Yeah, we had uh, six weeks of rowing. We actually had a week off in the middle. So, nice. you know, that takes it down on the epic ometer. Um, but yeah, we, we did spend quite a long time rowing sort of 24 hours a day uh, in shifts wow. uh, and travelled sort of 1600 miles, something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I mean, that's that's pretty up there. That's a nine out of 10 on the epicometer. I mean, I know there are some really extreme stuff that people do that would hit the 10. But um, yeah, that's definitely up there. And and talking about a 10, what's, what's your score today? What's your form? I think I might be an
1: eight. I mean, I was boring on a seven and then I heard that tune and I I think I've popped
0: up to an eight. (laughs) Brilliant. The power, uh, the power of music. Right. Um, So, yeah, um, good. Good to hear. And what's driving your kind of seven up to an eight apart from music, Sophie?
1: Uh, well I did manage to get out of bed this morning and uh, go for a swim so that puts me on the positive side. I think bringing me down and we talked about this just before we started is the fact that I'm I'm quite busy. Um, I've gone from like this wonderful adventure uh, where all I had to worry about was basically uh, moving my body and what I was going to have to lunch to then kind of coming back into the big wide world of work. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting over the overwhelm but I think that probably Probably stops me
0: being a nine yeah yeah and I think that's it's difficult so I as you know I did the uh, a challenge called the mind cycle where I rode the tour de France on a static trainer um, back uh, three years ago now and um, yeah literally we we traveled from workplace to workplace I would ride that day's stage of the tour de France and I have kind of people riding along with me but what I didn't expect was that after it was just really adjusting back to reality, and because you're in this bubble, and um, you know where your your goals and your motivations are very very basic, you've just got to keep you know pulling the oars, turning the pedals, and then when you come back to the real world, it's it's just really difficult to adjust. I think
1: I I definitely found that, and I've spoken to a few people since you've done some of these quite epic adventures, various scales. And I think it's partly you're also part of this very close team uh, it may not start as part of a team but certainly by the end of our six weeks on the boat um, there were there was a real sense of camaraderie and then suddenly that breaks up and you lose these friendships that you've been building over time um, without sort of actively uh, making the most of those and of course you gain friends and family that you haven't seen for a while but there is yeah. this transition from being part of the bubble it's exactly as you say everything else outside the bubble sort of ceases to be important and uh yeah I remember hearing the um hearing the scores from the English football and we were rowing uh in the Scottish Highlands and it was just utterly beautiful yes. and even the fact that we missed penalties couldn't spoil this incredible sunset uh so yeah it was very definitely a, a cushioned bubble
0: yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. We're going to hear a lot more about it, but we're we're going to do the quick fire round because I'm really keen to hear your uh, your answers on this. So I think it'll be fun. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. If mental health were a, what would it be? Um, and you, just the first thing that comes into your head. So Sophie, if uh, mental health were an animal, what would it be?
1: Uh,
0: a porcupine brilliant brilliant why a porcupine? Because it
1: looks kind of spiky and scary but actually yeah. when it's sleeping certainly it's kind of cute like there's good there's good bits in there but it looks kind of overwhelming to cuddle
0: <laughs> i love it and and that is so so much um like our mental health isn't it that we can it can be a bit scary but it can be beautiful as well and it can change um but yeah i like it the mental health porcupine good one so if mental health were color what color comes to mind
1: Oh, orange, I think. I mean, orange is utterly beautiful if it's a sunrise or a sunset, but it can also be kind of fiery. Um, And then you get that pale, pathetic orange with this kind of color sucked out of it. You know, it's sort of a little bit of everything.
0: Yeah, I like that. And, uh, you know, I, I do like the fact that you are going to all sort of aspects of the continuum, the uh, the good, the bad, the challenge. Um, <laughs> it's the spectrum. The spectrum. Yeah, yeah. We, we use orange, I think, for no form score four. So as we're going down to the warning signs. But uh, I do like that connotation of the sunrise and the sunset, um, which is, is beautiful, of course. Um, mental health or a food? What would it
1: be? Ooh, I mean, ooh
0: ah uh, onion onion layers yeah. layers that makes you cry a bit right <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> and actually if you roast it it gets really sweet and totally delicious maybe balsamic onion on pizza I mean there's all sorts yeah, of things yeah. you can do with an onion
0: yeah I love it you're good at this you're really good <laughs> at this you're, you're good at. it's not just the thing it's the why that's important you're really good at it um, if meant for a song or a piece of music
1: Okay, um, I'm really bad on music, and actually we can talk about this. Um, if mental health was a song on music, pff, do you know what? They, I'm going to cheat. Mm. I'm going to do silence. I
0: like it.
1: Because, yeah, okay. you know, it's, it's just one of those things where you have to fill the gap. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, I think certainly on the row, I, I really appreciated that power of silence, but also... Um, how making noise can 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 block out other things and can actually sort of hide that yeah the truth around mental health
0: yeah yeah I love that um and and of course silence sharing a comfortable silence with with someone even someone that's struggling actually with mental ill health is is super important so I like that so if mental health were a holiday destination (laughs) Given you've just been round the British Isles, where where would it be?
1: (laughs) Oh wow! Um, Okay, Um, so one of the—I'm just using the excuse to talk about the row, Um, But one of the most exciting places was uh, the Pentland Firth. Uh, So this is up in the Highlands of Scotland, sort of uh, top. northwest and it's a place that's renowned for being pretty scary you've got these tidal streams really strong currents that come together and so if you time it wrong it can literally go horribly wrong you know uh, ships will, will sit and wait for hours or if not days to find the right conditions to cross the Pentland Firth so you know it seems really intimidating but if you have a talented navigator, and we certainly had t- talented navigator on board, then you time things right and you get a little bit lucky, then you can sail through. And we hit our top speed, 13.1 knots, uh, going like rowing our socks off. Yeah. And we were crossing these tidal streams. And I think the idea being that Again, it can seem incredibly intimidating and fierce and scary, but when when you've got the right guidance and the right conditions, then the same place can actually become just magical and exciting.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, I can just sort of picture the scene because you, you're probably going into it with a feeling of trepidation. Oh, you know, 100%. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, you think what's going to happen here? And then this amazing thing happens. You, the Life goes your way and you're just sailing through it. in uh, and Working
1: know, as a team <laughs> and, you know, yeah. uh, our typical, just to put that into context, our average speed was probably around two and a half knots. Right, so that's right, kind right. of, you know, walking pace. These rowing, ocean rowing boats do not go very fast fast there's six people rowing at the most and it's a three-ton boat uh, so there's an awful lot to lug through the water so to to jump up from our sort of two and a half three knot average to 13.1 that that took some muscle
0: yeah, wow, that's like the equivalent of, um, you know, just riding down a mountain on, on, on a bike and that joy, that exhilaration, but, yeah, powering it as well. So I love that. So a quick hello to the people on the live. So hurrah, Chris um, and Luke, good to see you on the chat there. Um, so, Sophie, I'm going to try and put all this together and it's going to be a challenge, but, you know, we're, we're in that, um, we're, we're in a boat, um, you know, we're in a boat together, might, might be Roxy, might be in a, something a bit more luxurious Probably is something a bit more luxurious because I'm there, right? Um, but we're at the we're at the Pentland Firth and we're waiting for the right time to uh, to make the crossing and and, and go. Um, we are sitting down on on this boat and we're having uh, some food and you you've kind of got you know these beautiful balsamic glazed onions and and I've got raw <laughs> onions and I'm crying right because you know, and I've got the bad end of the deal here. Um, but it is absolutely silent. It's absolutely silent, and we see we see the sunrise coming up, you know, over this beautiful ocean. Um, and for some reason. I, and I don't know why, there's a family of porcupines also living on the boat and they're just sort of snuffling around, going around their business and we're watching them and we've been very in the moment of these porcupines seeing the sun rise up and we're having a very lovely time. Um, so I do these I do these for all of my guests, but yours was a real challenge.
1: <laughs> Absolutely
0: brilliant. <laughs> so, so that's the scene that, that we're enjoying together um, and, you know, we're about to uh, just you know, cross the, Perth, the Firth and, and, and sail away um brilliant thank you for doing that i really enjoyed it so look um, we're going to talk about sleep we're going to talk about rowing around the coast of britain we're going to talk about smiling through adversity and we're going to get a bit of a sneak preview to the, the webinar that you're going to be hosting when is it uh
1: tuesday the 21st of september
0: week on tuesday tuesday the 21st and we're going to put a link in the show notes to this so people can uh, can uh, can find it so um, first of all, you are doctor uh, Sophie Bostock, PhD. You are the sleep scientist, and, and I've got to know you uh, from very early in my journey of becoming a mental health campaigner when I, I heard you present. Um, um, and, and, and sleep is so important, isn't it? It's one of the most frequently selected drivers of form that we're seeing in the form score data, um, good and bad. You know, good sleep, bad sleep is affecting our mood. Um, why? why is, Why are you so passionate about sleep? I've never asked you this before. How did you sort of get into it? Why did you do a PhD on sleep? I
1: think the reason I picked on sleep, I've always just cared about About helping people feel good. Um, Mm -hmm. I originally studied medicine and I I thought I wanted to do that because I wanted to to make people feel well. And and actually, when I studied medicine, I realized that it's really all about disease and in health. And and when when doctors uh, see people, they kind of patch them up from the very, very bottom uh, to maybe a little bit higher than that. But it's medicine is very rarely actually about that feeling good. Um, And so that was a bit of a gap for me. And and I went and did a PhD in a field called psychobiology, which is all about how stress effectively uh, interacts with that biological health. Um, And it's an area which is um, pretty poorly understood by most of medicine. But just I think the longer you practice, the more you realize that how someone feels, uh, whether they feel good in themselves, has just such a direct um link to their physical health I mean you, you cannot separate the two yeah. so anyway I, I knew I was interested in that area um, but the sleep kind of fell into by accident because I think a lot of people they know what's underpins their well-being I mean you've got uh, how
0: many drivers of form Rob yeah so we've got we've got kind of we've got about 12 that, that about 12. 12 I mean there's quite a few right yeah, yeah um, there's a lot yeah and, and and
1: I think we often think about these kind of pillars that hold up our health and well-being. You know, that's kind of how we we think about it in our minds. But for me, sleep is the one where if you take that one away, everything comes crumbling down. So I always yeah, kind yeah. of redraw that image in your mind as sleep as this foundation. It's the glue that holds everything else yeah. together. Because if you invest effort in any single other one of these pillars, uh, take nutrition, take diet, you know, your choices are going to be very much affected by how much sleep you've had. It influences your appetite. It influences your self-control. It influences those cravings that come into your mind. And if you're tired, it's just everything is so much harder. So for me, if we don't get sleep right, our chances of succeeding in those other areas, those other pillars of health are just... uh, much lower, so there's it's just the fact that it's fundamentally important for health and well-being. And then secondly, that there's just not many people or not much going on to champion sleep. There's more and more, and we see more and more research coming about out about how sleep is important. But if you think about the number of nutritional therapists or personal trainers out there, um, I think uh, sleep evangelism is still an area where there's lots of space. And so I thought, you know, I could. I could sort of stand there with a loudspeaker and shout up and on behalf of sleep.
0: Yeah, amazing. <laughs> You've reminded me, I love that idea of redrawing how we think about the pillars of well-being. You actually did redraw <laughs> for a, a webinar we did, uh, which is brilliant. And and uh, that, that kind of has influenced how I talk about those drivers of form, actually, because you're right. Sleep does underpin them. You know, if we are trying to be motivated to do exercise, if we've slept poorly, we're less likely to get out and do that session. The hormone grueling, isn't it, in that we get in sleep? Um can, Brelin, yeah. Grelin, sorry, um, can, 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 affects appetite. And, you know, if we have poor sleep, we're more likely to reach for the sugary carb, carby snacks. Um, th- and the other thing that you said um, that I've blatantly stolen and, and doing all of my talks is the fact that, if we get good sleep, we feel better immediately, don't we? Um, whereas, you know, a diet plan, an exercise regime, it takes a period of time and commitment to build up the the benefits of those. Whereas one good night's sleep, you know, it's plus one on the form score for me straight away, or even plus two. And it's that immediacy of benefit, isn't it? That I think is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's
1: such a great area to work in. And and the other thing is that um, selfishly, for me, if I help someone with their sleep. I just know not only are they going to feel good the next day, but their entire world is going to have a boost because it doesn't just help you with your mood the next day, it helps you with your relationships with other people, your ability to empathize and listen to other people, your ability to focus so people get better at work. You know, it's just this kind of virtuous cycle. Um, So, where (laughs) the other reason I love sleep is because if it's not going so well, it's not that hard to fix yeah and and actually once you understand the nuts and bolts of how sleep works it becomes very obvious what you need to do to improve it so um, yeah it's a lovely area to work
0: brilliant Um, so like we know it's we know it's a good thing we know it's a great opportunity for improvement for, for many many people millions of people right um how do we go about that and again I know you could talk for an hour on this and more um, but you know in a, um, and I want to make sure we've got enough time to talk about the uh, the, the, the epic challenge so yeah you know, you've you, heard you, me you... talk before haven't you Rob you're like um, but, I, but I, I, you know segue again when, when I do do those drivers form I, I could spend a good 20 minutes on each of them but often I have to like go through them in about three minutes and I'm, I'm like literally everybody hold your breath because this is going to be a whirlwind and it's a bit like that now so what are you? top tips for getting good sleep to get to take advantage of that great opportunity we have
1: okay so uh three systems that influence when and how well we sleep the first is your circadian rhythm your internal body clock we're all programmed to operate on this 24-hour rhythm so if you fight that and you have haphazard sleep weight patterns your whole biology is fighting against itself what you want is for all your body clocks to be working in sync to energize you to anticipate wake up time so the most simple thing you can do is simply wake up at the same time each day if you want to give your body clock's a bit of a boost, get outside and get some natural light. And that is true, not just first thing in the morning, but A lot of us have a bit of a slump after lunch, and that's the time that we crave the sugary snacks, Mm. the caffeine to keep us going. If you go outside instead or at least sit by a window, that natural light is going to help you through that slump and and help those body clocks know that it's kind of daytime time to be alert. Um, So in terms of body clocks, it's routine. And I'd say light is probably the second most important. The second system that influences your sleep is called sleep pressure. The longer you have been awake, the more you need to sleep. So if it's sort of 11 o'clock at night and you really want to sleep, but you don't feel tired, please don't get into bed. Mm. Only get into bed when you actually feel sleepy tired. A lot of anxiety about sleep comes from people who actually get into bed too early and then lie there worrying that they can't sleep, which leads on to the third system, which is the stress system. Mm. And this, when we talk about mental health, this is very often the big barrier to sleep is this sort of increased anxiety, this activation and arousal. And we've got to switch that off. We have to give ourselves a chance, and I I think in covid times this has become increasingly difficult when your workplace is also your home place Mm. and you know maybe the the kids have been around at home so you haven't got as much done during the day as you thought so you just take a cheeky hour nine o'clock at night to finish off what you were doing so by 10 o'clock your mind is in work zone and you haven't detached from that so that last hour of the day um if you have kids, you know, they need a wind down routine. For yeah, some yeah. reason, as adults, we forget about that. Mm. Um, but that wind down is so important. Just kind of bringing down physiologically, uh, cognitively, your sort of levels of activation to just let sleep take over. If you do that, sleep will come to you.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Three three systems, a lot of tips in there. And, and in terms of that wind down routine, I think it's personal, isn't it? But what sort of things do you recommend?
1: 100% uh, it's personal. It, it is what makes you feel good. And uh, my parents, ever since I was a kid, they've had a hot bath before bed. And uh, I thought this was very old fashioned. And then I read this wonderful review that actually looked across studies and shows that the hot bath has some remarkable effects. A, you probably don't have your phone in the bath. So that's yes. good. Uh, we're detaching from technology. Um, but secondly, there's this uh, physiological reaction to a warm bath. It, it relaxes you but also just being in this hot environment it means your blood flow moves to the extremities which is why they go pink and that has the effect of cooling your core body temperature Mm. so we actually in order to get into deep sleep we need our core body temperature to cool and this is one of the reasons if you do very intensive exercise in that last hour before bed you can struggle to get to sleep so anything you can do to bring the body temperature down actually works so um Wearing a pair of socks, warm socks, can have the same effect. So have okay. a bath, put some socks on. Um, but just you know, distract yourself from the stuff that's that's worrying you. I wouldn't have a problem with watching TV if, so long as you put a time limit on it. The main problem with with TV, social media, is just that it's, we get lost in it. It displaces sleep time. Yeah. It's yeah. not necessarily that it's super activating. It's just that it's not sleep
0: yeah gotcha um brilliant i might try the warm socks on it so that's that's that'd be a new one for me um amazing and um, we could talk forever on sleep but thank you for sharing a few perspectives there but i'm keen to uh, to understand a bit more about your journey so my first question is how does one decide um where does one come up with the idea of oh i'm going to go row around the whole british isles so it's it's not it's not normal it's not usual how did that happen for you
1: um it is probably in the same way that you decided to do your cycle you know because it's there uh and because for whatever reason you hear about it happening um i I gave a talk uh, a couple of years ago and in the audience was this amazing energizing girl called Laura try who had rowed across the Atlantic. And she came up to me at the end and said, Oh, this whole circadian rhythm thing. That's really interesting because when we row, we row for two hours and then we rest for two hours and we row for two hours and rest for two hours. I was like, what? That's crazy. That's counter to all your internal rhythms that must cause huge problems. And so it's very interested in this idea of ocean rowing and she actually took me out on an ocean rowing boat and I kind of got a little bit hooked and I joined a rowing club here and then I saw this trip advertised at a time when let's face it 18 months of lockdown I think we were all lusting for an adventure and the fact this was in the UK I didn't have to get on an aeroplane Seeing the British coastline, I thought, would be fantastic, um, as indeed it was. And the mere fact that, uh, yeah, you had to row for six weeks. Well, um, I I think I'm also really interested. One of the reasons I'm interested in sleep, which I didn't mention before, is a few years ago, I had uh, quite a nasty climbing accident when uh, I was sleep deprived and I made some very stupid decisions and I had a fall and I... Uh, really badly fractured my ankle. And I was kind of given a pretty poor prognosis. And as part of my recovery, I started doing things were a little bit more adventurous. I did a, a five day swim in Morocco, and realized that my body was so much more capable than I ever thought it was. You know, I'm, I'm not an elite athlete, I've never trained really for anything. But I realized that just sort of through sheer strength of mind and determination, um, I could do a lot more than I thought. So when I saw the row, I thought, wow, well, I don't think I can do that. But actually, I reckon if I put myself in that position and I train a bit, I I might be able to. And it was this idea that can I, can't I? Um, I think physically, we we put all these constraints on ourselves. I'm not that kind of person. I couldn't do that. I firmly believe that we could all do that if we if we wanted to and it is just a a matter of what we want to do I happen to enjoy rowing so it was a good fit for me
0: Well, you'd hope you would enjoy it, you know, kind of 24 hours a day on off. And uh, the shift bit is interesting. So the two hours is too short to to recover. And and you did three. So I was
1: really happy that we had a bigger boat. So the decision was made by the skipper that we were going to do three hours of rowing and then three hours to recover. And three hours rowing is is quite a lot. And one of the reasons that they decided previously on two on, two off is just maintaining that sort of effort for three hours at a time is difficult. But in terms of recovery, we tend to sleep in around about 90 minute cycles, anything from 70 to 120 minutes. So if you have just two hours in total to recover, you've got to eat in that time. You've probably got to clean yourself. You might have to do a post on social media. You know, the time very quickly disappears. So three hours, I think, was a much better choice because it meant that probably for a lot of those three hour bouts, I was getting an hour and a half to two hours of sleep I don't think I ever really slept for more than two hours even at night
0: so you're getting one full sleep cycle yeah Um, and And again, you're doing that a few times a day then as well, aren't you? Um, Yeah,
1: I really struggled. I mean, I have to say I struggled with sleep during the day. Um, So my main sleep time was definitely my shift pattern. I rode from 10.30 until 1.30 at night, and then I had 1.30 till 4.30 off. So I would be as quick as I could to kind of get changed and and go to sleep for that time. And then... um, the only other time I slept usually was kind of a bit of a nap in the afternoon, but uh, I, I was just looking at my data before I came back. because I, I tracked my sleep. I had a, an aura ring. I had a Garmin yeah, yeah. watch and I also wrote a diary. And um, on average, I was getting 4.7 hours sleep throughout the rowing period. But a lot of that actually came when there was bad weather and then I'd catch up and get six yeah, or seven yeah. hours if, if we couldn't row. So when we were actually rowing, it was between three and four hours on those
0: days. And, and, and clearly, that's, you know, that's, that's not, enough not ideal. Yeah, no. that's, that's not ideal. You wouldn't be advising that as the sleep scientist. Um, but how, how did that make you feel? And, and what were the cumulative effects of that, both mentally and physically, I guess?
1: So I found this absolutely fascinating. So I was tracking my mood and I, I know that the research shows that if you're sleep deprived, you tend to get more anxious And and in fact, on board the boat, we were in such a sort of safe bubble. I didn't really feel anxious. There wasn't a lot to be worried about. But cognitively, I really definitely felt the effect. So I thought, you know, I'm going to have hundreds of hours of rowing. Uh, I'm going to download all these brilliant podcasts, you know, the form podcast. Uh, Maybe I'll maybe I'll learn Russian. I'm going to come back from this and I'm going to be a super intellect. Um, I... Didn't listen to a single new podcast, a single audiobook. The only things I listened to was things that I'd heard before, and there was certainly upbeat music to sort of distract myself and um, sort of get into flow while I was rowing. And interestingly, yeah, uh, there were a couple of audiobooks that I'd listened to before. So there's a book called The Art of Resilience by Ross Edgeley. I don't know if you've read that. It's absolutely so. brilliant. Okay. It's all about his swim around Great Britain. So bearing in mind, I was rowing the same thing. Whenever I felt like, oh, I'm a bit tired. I just listened to the fact that this guy had swum this whole thing. And it really (laughs) helped to put things in perspective. But yeah, my poor sleep deprived brain could not tolerate new information. And that was, uh, you know, we, we need sleep to learn
0: yeah well that's really that that is really interesting i mean there's, there's a couple of things interesting there um one um, it, it's almost sort of a, a way of showing gratitude for what you have got in that there's a bloke swimming ra- swimming around what you're doing and it's tough and you're in a boat and can get some sleep and all that. Um, but you're right, it, it's um, cognitively, it's very difficult to take on new things if you are in that state. I, I didn't listen to any podcasts or anything educational um, when I was um, doing the Tour de France. In fact, I, I just would literally watch all of the Tour de France repeats um, and the, the day stage because I did it at the same time the bros um and and you know I I, they, I didn't listen to music as much as I would have thought either because it was just literally you uh, yeah psychologically get into a flow state do what you've got to do for as long as you've got to do it eat recover do it again um and you know your um your mind kind of simplifies a little bit I think in, in some way did you did you sort of experience that
1: I think it definitely does, and. I, like I said what are the decisions that you've got to make you know what meal are you going to have for lunch these are the really exciting decisions that you've got to make I was very lucky we had a team of 12 of us on board the boat so six would row at a time six would rest um, and we always had a navigator who was in charge of, of that and and certainly kind of looking ahead I think for me to push a challenge to a higher level it would be right okay And now do that, but then do it with navigation on top. I think that's that's going to be an awful lot harder. And then I think that's where the anxiety and the confusion is going to come in. Because I was kind of doing what I was told. And I think... One of the things that I've, I've taken away from it is that beauty of simplicity and actually how can we simplify our lives so that we have fewer choices to make? And I'm not talking about making them boring. I'm just talking about getting rid of the dross. You know, where can you implement routines? I remember reading about various uh, successful uh, millionaires, billionaires who wear the same things almost all the time. Yeah. They kind of have a uniform. And it's like, well, I I don't want to be worrying about what I'm going to wear because I just don't have the the time and I want to reduce the cognitive load. Um, So, yeah, just thinking about, you know, okay, I I have a lot of choices in my life. I I could go to the gym. I could go for a simple. But how about just a plan a week? You know, you plan what you're going to eat, you plan when you're going to go to the gym and hopefully it just leaves more space, uh, more creativity, more energy for the rest of the time that you've got
0: yeah I'm not a billionaire or a millionaire but I do have a lot of white (laughs) t-shirts and I I I make no decisions on clothes um so I can I can relate to that but you're right our minds are overloaded and cluttered particularly with the amount of inbound stuff and and more simplification is good um so I'm with you on that What, what are the lessons um not lessons what else did you learn about yourself you know what what were your big takeaways about yourself from that experience
1: uh I think my my brother said to me <laughs> he wrote me a letter and he was like we're not worried about you actually completing it we're worried about worried about you killing someone else on the journey um and my sort of levels of tolerance i i live by myself so yeah. to be in this boat with 12 people and bearing in mind uh the cabin that i shared with uh, six people um so three of us would sleep in it at once was the sleeping area was smaller than a double bed. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the roof, you couldn't sit up straight. You know, you're know you kind of hunched over. My flexibility improved. Um, but you are in close, close quarters with other people all the time. And I've always been someone who's kind of valued time by myself. Um, but I actually found this sort of close camaraderie uh, and teamwork really great. I mean, it took me a while, but well, don't get me wrong. In the first week I was getting really frustrated. And I realized that it was because my goals were probably more around physical exertion. And I really wanted to see what my body was capable of. And I wanted to see, you know, how fast we could go, but it wasn't a race. We did have to get from A to B. And there were certain times when we had to hit a tidal gate and the skipper was going, guys, you know, can you really pull together now? Cause we've got got to hit this, point before the tide changes and then I'd look behind and there'd be someone rowing along with one hand and eating nuts with the other and I'm just going you know I'm, I'm really <laughs> crying here yeah. and uh, I remember speaking to my cabin mate uh, Linda who's a GB triathlete she was amazing um, and she just said you know what Sophie you get out what you put in and I was like oh yeah you know just because they're they could be doing whatever they're doing but if I'm trying if I'm putting the effort in that's the most important thing and I had to keep repeating that and I think the longer we went through the more I realized I had some goals around pushing myself physically but other people didn't have those goals and maybe they hadn't prepared in the same way and actually for yeah. them it was more like a trip with their friends and seeing the scenery so we we're all there for different reasons I think probably my I hope I really hope my tolerance and appreciation uh, of other people and their motivations uh, improved I mean you know there were some incredible people on that journey a lot of people brought incredible life experiences and the first time you met them kind of like oh, I don't think we've got anything in common and then you get talking and you realize well the fact that you're in this boat together rowing around the UK means you probably have got some similar motivations, but uh, I I would hope that that my patience and tolerance improved a little
0: bit. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully the peanut eater got a good experience as well. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure they did. So a quick hi to Todd down in Sydney, Australia, Um, and a good hi to Nikki, who loves the idea of presenting herself with less choices. So, um, yeah, good, good advice there. So because you had um, people coming in for legs, didn't you? So you had a hardcore of five people that did the whole trip um, and then you had rowers coming in for legs. So how was that for the sort of team dynamic as you got new people coming in, particularly as the, the journey traveled through towards conclusion?
1: I think it was I think it was very interesting I mean uh yeah we we were labeled the lifers after about week three and and I'm not sure where that came from but of course for those people coming in they saw these uh slightly grizzled um blistered uh rowers probably had grown a beard by that point and we must have looked like we really knew what we doing we were doing even though we only had one week or possibly two weeks more experience than these other guys and I was looking back of Of in preparation for the webinar and thinking, what did I learn? And I I realized actually that first week was the toughest. It was the Mm -hmm. toughest physically, and it was the toughest because everything was unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. And so, for a lot of those people joining for a week and week four or week five, uh, I think, you know, the tolerance thing comes in. You realize it was very, very daunting for everyone when everything's new. And the longer you're there, the easier it becomes physically, you adapt, but also you've just simply got sort of less to learn, you you waste less time, you kind of, you know what you're doing and this sense of confidence makes everything easier. Um, so there were certain people that bridged that gap, and I think sometimes I made an effort, and <laughs> sometimes I was tired and made less of an effort. And when I made less of an effort with other people, um, I-, I think I I missed out, um, mm. and and that was a reflection for me because actually there were some lovely girls who joined us around Scotland, and they knew each other. So I kind of thought, oh well, you know, you guys know each other. I- I- I stuck to my cabin. I looked after those guys. I, I mainly talked to that watch. I didn't, didn't talk a lot to them. And then later on in the journey, we got stranded in bad weather and we happened to be quite close to where these girls rowed. And they organized a dinner for us when we couldn't row. Uh, they brought us into their sailing club. They cooked a meal for us all. And I was just I was overwhelmed that they went to so much effort for these people that they'd kind of, you know, met. Halfway around Scotland, um, so yes, the more time and effort you spend really getting to know other people, the more it's going to pay back. I
0: think yeah, that's a really good one. And I think listening to you there, I, I sort of my mind went off to the challenges people will be. We're hearing people are going to be facing, you know, returning to the physical workplace and. It's almost you know that week, that first week in the boat is the tough one. You you get through that, it does improve and it becomes familiar again, um, and the importance of empathy and connections along the way. and And I think, yeah, you know, I think there's a few lessons there and a few thoughts that people can take away and I know a lot of people are anxious about going back into London or their office or whatever it might be and commuting and they have to do it because their workplace is saying they have to do it but it it will get better right we're just going to get through that.
1: and, and it will get better faster if you just take that little bit of extra time to go I think one layer deeper you know we all say hey how are you how was your how have you been and that's kind of it yeah. And actually, if you can protect 15, 20 minutes, really ask them, find out about their kids, find out about where they went, find out about how they, f- they felt. And they'll do the same for you. And you just build this deeper connection. And I, I, one um, really lovely experience that I had that was amplified because of the people that I spoke to was this amazing day when we were joined by a minky whale. And uh, this is a big massive kind of 40 foot whale. And it was hilarious because one of the guys kind of looked out at, at the back and said, oh, I think there's a big dolphin over there. And we kind of ignored it by this time. We, we, we love dolphins, but we would seen quite a lot of them. And like, It is a really big dolphin. And, and the thing kind of from a distance looks a little bit like a dolphin. And then this this massive <laughs> mass uh, was moving under the boat. And um, I mean, I was pretty impressed. But it hadn't been a goal of mine to see a whale. It was like a bonus. But there was one girl on the group who, who said, you know, what What I really want to do is, is to see a whale. And this whale was coming up and it was breaching and it was, it was blowing air. And um, it, it, was, it was playing with us for like 45 yeah. minutes. Amazing. And I loved it. But what I loved even more was looking back at the back of the boat and seeing this girl literally with tears in her eyes she was so happy it meant so much to her and it meant more to me because it meant more to her um and that that, yeah it was just this kind of amplification of a positive experience from someone else
0: yeah brilliant what a beautiful beautiful moment um Talk of happiness. Um, you, and I, I mentioned at the top, but you um, seem to be very smiley, very happy. Um, and, and yeah, and I know we, we put our game face on for our social posts, but. Um, you did seem to be. Uh, there were there were some good images of people just like heads down with gales coming on and really thinking, why am I doing this? And then you had a big, big, beautiful smile on your face. And and was it like that for you? Were you were you looking at the the sort of you know the positives when you were in those challenging moments? Um, and when weren't you happy?
1: I think, I think I genuinely was. I mean, like I said, I, I love rowing. And, and I think whenever I had a slightly unpleasant experience, and there were a few, you know, if you're rowing along and you get a big wave down the back of your neck or kind of your nice dry socks suddenly get obliterated by a wave, it's not a pleasant experience. But I just kept coming back to you. I chose to be here. This was my choice. Nobody else forced me to do this and I think psychologically feeling like this was my choice was, was incredibly important um and and, I'm, and just not letting myself get angry sometimes if I caught myself I, I get angry at a wave I'm like what is the point of being angry with a wave <laughs> I mean this happened on a boat and, and one of my cabin mates got really really angry because she got smashed by a wave and what benefit is that? You just have to laugh. You have to let it go. There's no point. Um, so one of my favorite things was, uh, I still said to myself early on in the first week, you know, there's a temptation to swear quite loudly when something like that happens. Um, but I didn't want that to happen. So whenever I felt like that, I, I decided to replace the word <clears throat> with blueberries. And so whenever a, a wave came over or smashed me, I'd be just like blueberries. You cannot say blueberries and be angry, <laughs> um, and because it just felt like it was going to be a waste of time, uh, you know, by being being negative.
0: There's something. There's, yeah. There's something that is. It's quite it's quite deep though when you think about it. A big yeah, kind of you know the the power of the ocean and a big wave. We cannot control the ocean, right? The ocean is the boss, right? Um and there is absolutely no point being angry at a wave. Um but yeah, this if we transist to the real world um and the real yeah, the real challenges we face, which generally aren't huge, massive waves that are smashing into us. Um yeah it's about controlling the controllables isn't it and expending our energy worrying about things that we can influence and not getting so negative and angry about things that we can't and you know that image of a wave is 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 i think a a really nice kind of metaphor for control the controllables for me
1: yeah and just remember remember where you've made a choice that's put you in that place um and uh that there will be something positive ab- about all of it. I mean, I think the probably some of the lowest times that I had were on that sort of night shift. Um, particularly when my, when my music ran out, you know, I like to use music to sort of get in the zone and, and it, so I was tired. I was trying to stay awake. Maybe the boat was rocking around and it was like a little bit unpleasant and there was sometimes you just had to sort of, uh, Grin, grin and bear it, you know, grit it out. Yeah. But I think the other thing about waves is that they always pass. And I, I know that's a, a metaphor that's often used in mental health terms, but it was absolutely true out there on the ocean. You have this horrible shift, and there's no other way to say it. It was horrid. And then you come off shift, you come back out again, and it's calm, and the sun's yeah. come out. And However bad it gets, it doesn't stay that way for long. It yes. always changes. So, just having that belief that it's going to get better.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, the worst part of my depression, I can now know that that is temporary and there is a calm sea beyond the rough waves that I'm experiencing. And that is probably the biggest thing that acceptance is the biggest thing that helps me get through those moments. Um, thank you. Sophie, this is, you know, I don't want to talk to you for a lot longer, but I, I don't want to steal your thunder for, for the webinar. So I'm going to definitely be tuning into that. Um, helpful. Um, we have one more question for you. And I'm, I'm curating a uh, library of golden nuggets for well-being. you know, the pieces of wisdom that my guests are prepared to share on the one thing to proactively manage your wellbeing. I I could probably put a safe bet on what yours would be, but (laughs) what is the one piece of wisdom that you would share on managing well-being?
1: Um, Okay, so uh, slightly counterintuitively, because obviously I talk about how sleep is really, really important, um, I would say don't worry about sleep. Like protect time for it, but don't worry about it. It's something that is only ever going to come to you. The harder you try, the more elusive it becomes. And therefore, create the space and time to rest. And if that means sleep, then great. But actually, if just that means resting, then that's great, too. And I I think what I showed myself on the row is that with very little sleep, I could still have an amazing time. And of course, I needed to catch up at times. But by not worrying about the fact that I wasn't getting enough, um, it took a lot of that pressure off. And I think I was able to recover quite, quite efficiently
0: yeah brilliant don't worry create time for sleep and rest but don't worry about it i love that that's a really good sentiment um sophie congratulations thank you so much this is the form guide inspiring conversations about mental health and well-being this has certainly been an inspiring conversation next up we have alex partridge an olympian uh, and also uh, works for a business called wage stream and we're going to talk about financial well-being but in the meantime sophie thank you so much
1: thank you it was an absolute pleasure